continue the sermon series. Next week, we're going to finish the sermon series, but we're going to continue the sermon series that we've been in called Alignment. We've been talking about how important it is that we align ourselves or line ourselves up with or connect with God. And, and, and really, uh, much of our, our, the pain of our life comes from misalignment. And I, I got the idea from the sermon series um, from going to a chiropractor. Um, if you don't believe in chiropractic, that's fine. Um, you're okay to be wrong. You can be wrong. Um, it's a free country. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, no I, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a new practice, honestly, chiropractic. I think it was invented in 1895, fairly new. Um, and, it's, and it's one of those things I've always been skeptical of. Uh, but I, I went to um, one, one of the, the, the family members in our, in our church. Um, they own a chiropractic down in Kyle. And so I, I say, Dr. Greg, can I just come by? And, and he's cracking my neck and cracking my back and doing all this kind of thing. And he was talking about how the purpose of chiropractic is not so much just to loosen up your spine, which is what I I thought it was, but it's actually to loosen up your spine so that your brain can have perfect communication with the rest of your body, because your spine is kind of the central system, it's the freeway through which communication from your brain to every organ and every part of your body, that's, that's where all the information flows, and if your spine is kind of out of alignment, well, if it's broken, then you have complete um, paralysis, complete numbness, there's no information going to that source of, 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 of the mind, and so, and so the, the body part just doesn't work if your spine breaks, uh, but but if it's, if it's not broken, if it's just tense or just kind of out of alignment, then you, you will have some discomfort. You will have some pain and you will have some, some paralysis. You'll have, you'll have some issues going on in your body. And um, I thought that was so applicable to us as Christians that, that, that Christ is our head. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, which means that we have to receive the word from him. We have to receive messages from him if we want to, if we, if we want to have health in our life. If you want to have health in your marriage, you have to hear from God. Like Dr. Phil can help you a little bit, and Oprah reruns can help you a little bit. <laughs> I say reruns. Um, but, but the real help that you need is to hear from God. In fact, when I'm counseling, when, when my wife and I are counseling couples, the main purpose of our counseling is to help them align with God's Word so that they can start hearing from God again. Because any time that we talk to couples and, and they're having issues in their marriage, typically they haven't heard from God about their marriage in a really long time. And the same is true with your finances, the same is true with your raising, raising of your kids, or any addiction in your life. You, we, we always, any, any area of pain, any area of brokenness is often disconnected from God. We don't talk to God about it, we don't pray about it, we don't talk to, but, but it's there. Like God still sees it, God still knows it, but he's not able to get the message across, he's not able to tell you, and he wants to bring healing to every area of your life. And so the purpose of this sermon series, really the purpose of all preaching, I think, is to help you align with God so that you can receive from God the healing that he desired for you to have from the very beginning. Um, last week, as I was preaching, uh, Dr. Greg was here, and he, and he, and he, and he texted me another saying from the, from, from the founder of modern chiropractic. And, and this is what he said. This is what the founder of chiropractic would, would say. He would say, above, down, inside, out. Okay, this is interactive preaching. You guys, you guys, just go, just go, go and help me. Okay, I'll say it and then you, you repeat. Okay, above, down, inside, out. This is the way healing. Ha- that was pretty good. That's a good job, guys. This is the way healing happens. It happens from the above down. 
Now, now, now in your body, it starts, it starts up here. You have to have a healthy uh, brain. You have to have a healthy head, and, it, and then it works its way down. So health moves from above down. But here in, here, here in the church, Jesus Christ is our head, so health moves from above, from heaven, down to earth. This is, this is, where, this is where miracles come into place. This is where health comes into place. This is where alignment comes into place. It starts from the top down, and then God does something on the inside of you, and that works its way out. So often what we do is we do the exact opposite. We, we try to work on the situation, right? We, we get focused on the situation, and so we try to work from below up. So we believe we have to get ready in order to meet God, so we got to get everything fixed and everything right and everything aligned before we can actually approach God. We're doing it backwards. It's, it, the healing comes above down, not, not, not below up. This is not how he, healing comes above down. And life change happens from the inside out. And we often approach that the opposite. We try to approach the outside in. And we think if we can just change the way we dress and the way we talk and what movies we watch, that somehow that's going to do something in here. But that's not what, that's not what happens. If, if you can let God do something in here, you're going to find that there's a change that happens from the inside out. Healing happens from the inside out. Your marriage gets fixed from you out. <laughs> it's not your spouse that needs all the work. You inside out. When you start changing your mind, when you start changing your heart, there's going to be a change on the outside that affects every facet of your life. Every facet. And so we've been, we've been talking about all different ways that we need to align with God. And really we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so that's what we're going to do today in the next 30 minutes. I'm just going to read through chapter 4 and then I'm going to share with you just a little bit from that chapter. So if you have not got your Bible reading in, um, you're going to get it in right now. So if they have it, put it up on the screen. I want to read from this um, old-fashioned Bible right here, not a digital Bible. I got this Bible from, um, uh, it's called the Lavender New Testament. And I would, uh, I would encourage anybody who's serious about study to um, check this out. Uh, I have several copies if you'd like to, to purchase one. But um, the, the guy who tutored me in Greek when I was, when I was a kid, uh, New Testament Greek, uh, he, he, he just recently published this. And so I'm really excited about, about this, this Bible. And I want to read it to you because I think it's the most like, accurate to the original language Bible. You guys can read off of the NIV because you all need Jesus more than me. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to read from here so you can see the difference. There's, some, there's, 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 there's just some nuances here in this text um, <laughs> that I'd love for you to catch. He says, Beloved. I love that. He, John's always calling this church the beloved. Beloved, which means you are loved. Beloved, you must not believe every spirit. Hmm. But you must test the spirits to see if they are from God as to the source. I don't think it says that in the NIV, but that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the source of the spirit. You must test the spirit to see if it is of God as to the source. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now we've been talking about this every single week. We, we've been talking about the purpose really of 1 John. The purpose of 1 John was, was to align the church. He's like the spiritual chiropractor aligning the church because there had been some, um, some heresies that had crept into the church, um, primarily uh, one that was called Gnosticism. And we've been talking about the different tenets of Gnosticism, and I'm going to continue that next week. I'm not going to touch much on Gnosticism this week, but that's what he's talking about. Many false prophets who have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who acknowledges Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh is out of God. But every spirit who does not acknowledge... Yeah, that word acknowledge means agree. <laughs> so every spirit that is not in alignment with Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh is not out of God. In fact, 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard that he is coming, and even now he is already in the world. You are out of God, little children, and you have conquered them, because greater is the one, capital O, greater is the one in you than the one, little o, in the world. These men, these false prophets, are from among the world. Because of this, they speak out of the world as to their source. And so the world is hearing them. We are out of God. The one knowing God hears us. He who is not out of God does not hear us. Because of this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. That's real important. Remember, he said you must test the spirit. There's a spirit of truth in the world. And that's the spirit of God. And there's also a spirit of deception. Verse 7 Beloved, there it is again, let us love one another because love is out of God and everyone loving has been born of God and knows God. On the condition that one does not love, that one did not know God because God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us because God has sent his only one of his kind son. I like that. That's that's, that's basically what the word begotten means. Only one of his kind son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he himself loved us and sent his son in atonement concerning our sins. Beloved, if God loved us in this manner, certainly we ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time, and if we may love one another, God dwells in us, and his love having been perfected in us. By this we know that we remain in union or fellowship with him, uh, and, and he is in union with us because he has given to us out of his spirit. There's that, there's that word again, spirit. In fact, we have taken note for ourselves. So we are witnesses that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever may agree, whoever may come into alignment, whoever may agree that Jesus is the Son of God, remains in union with Him and He in union with God. Certainly, we have known and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one remaining in love. That's the exact same word we talked about a couple weeks ago. Remaining, to stay, to abide. Remaining in love. That one also remains in union with God. And God remains in union with Him. You guys still awake? Still doing good? All right. By means of this, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because just as that one, just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because fear has torment, and the one fearing has not been made perfect in love. We love him, because he himself first loved us. Now here's, here's what the chiropractor again. If anyone may say that they love God, but they may hate his brother, that one is a liar. Come on, somebody. Well, tell like it is, John. For an example, on the condition that one is not loving his brother, just in case you didn't catch this, (laughs) whom he has seen, how is he able to love God whom he has not seen? And so, we have this command from him in order that the one loving God must also love his brother. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, 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 the... the potency of your word, the power of your word. I pray that you would open it up to us this morning. Help us to see Jesus in your word. Help us to see how it applies to our lives, Lord. Bring healing from above down. Bring life change from inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. I'm going to jump right into it because we don't have much time. But this first portion of Scripture, this first portion of chapter 1, I like to go back to that, where he says, Beloved, you must not believe every spirit. Now, he's, he's talking about, uh, oftentimes we, we, we kind of we read this with regard to you know, testing spirits and seeing how we feel about people. Are they really of God? Are they not? That's not what he's saying. Number one, he doesn't say to test people. <laughs> he says test the spirit. So it's not people that are the problem. Uh, if you have a problem in your life, it's not a person-related problem. It's a spirit-related problem. Uh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. He says you, gotta, you, have, to, you have to test the spirit to see if it is a spirit out of God. And I feel like um, John himself had personal uh, history with this. You see, John, um, this John who wrote 1 John, he's the oldest living apostle at the time that he writes. This is, this is either the last book of the Bible that was ever written or the second to last. Um, and he's, he's an old man, and he's writing to a young church, and he's trying to bring them into alignment. And so often you hear him talking about his eyewitness account because he was the last living apostle. He was the only one who wasn't martyred, the only one who wasn't murdered. He died of natural causes um, at, at an old age. And, 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 and yet, he was also the one who wrote the Gospel of John. Um, he wrote it around the same time as he wrote 1 John. And he refers to it several times in this book. But, but, but the, the, the point is that, that John himself was kind of an interesting character. John, when he first met Jesus, uh, Jesus called John and his brother. He said, I'm going to rename you guys. You guys are going to be Borneges. That's Aramaic for sons of thunder. Now, you wouldn't pick that up in John's letter because the word love is just littered throughout 1 John. I mean, over 40 times the word love is used. Uh, But Jesus said, you guys, James and John, you two, you guys are sons of thunder. And uh, Peter, who we know as Peter, his name was Simon, uh, which means um, obedient one. Um, Jesus said, ah, your name is actually Petros, or Peter, which means solid rock, which was often used as a negative term, meaning stubborn, (laughs) hard-headed. And uh, Jesus said, I know you have a reputation for being obedient, but I see your heart that you're (laughs) stubborn. And so he spoke to Peter and James and John and renamed them. And it was interesting because as Jesus walked with them, as he talked with them, suddenly what was inside of them started to come out. And so one time, James and John the, uh, and the group of disciples, they went out um, to prepare for Jesus to stay in a certain village. And that certain village didn't want Jesus there. They said, uh, he's not welcome here. There's, I'm sorry, we, we, we don't serve your kind, basically. And so James and John comes back, they come, come back to Jesus. And Jesus says, that's okay, we'll stay somewhere else. And James and John have a brilliant idea. They say, Jesus, look, we were, we were, we were, we were fasting and praying um, and uh, we just had this b- beyond brilliant idea. We think we ought to call down fire on this town and consume everybody. What do you think about that? And they, they were serious. They thought it was a good idea. Because they were like, you know, they rejected Jesus. So, and they rejected us. So we really ought to call down fire like Elijah did and just toast the whole town. <laughs> Sons of thunder. And Jesus didn't rebuke them very harshly. He didn't say, you guys are all wrong. He said, you don't know what spirit you are of. (laughs) In other words, you can be in the right place with the wrong spirit. You can be following Jesus and have the wrong spirit. You can be going to church, come on somebody, and have the wrong spirit. 
spirit. James and John had the wrong spirit. They had, they had a spirit of judgment. They had a spirit of vengeance. They had a spirit of, of well, you know, you really need to accept Jesus or else. They, they had a, a spirit of, let's call down fire, let's punish these people. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. And I think John is probably th- thinking about that as he writes this. He said, you need to make sure to test the spirits. If you really want to come into alignment with Jesus, you're going to have to check and make sure uh, that your spirit is coming from the right source. Now, 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 John had a transformation happen, obviously. Uh, nowhere here does he recommend calling down fire on people. <laughs> Instead, he's talking about loving your brother. Beloved, let us love one another. Everyone who loves is born of God. Everybody who doesn't love doesn't even know God. And just love, 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 love. Now, how in the world would the Son of Thunder become the apostle of love? Well, uh, I believe it happened in a process. Number one... Um, there was a multitude of people that followed Jesus. A multitude. I mean, sometimes up to 15,000 people showing up at his concerts. Lots of people were interested in Jesus. But Jesus called out a group of 70 people. And he said, I want you 70. I want you to go in my name and I want you to cast out demons and I want you to heal the sick. I want you to go preach the gospel. And so these 70 went out two by two into the towns. Well, John was one of the 70. And so two by two, John goes out with somebody and they start praying for people and they start, they start taking authority in the name of Jesus and they start casting out demons and they come back, all 70, they come back to Jesus and they're shocked and they're amazed and they're excited and they're like, wow, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus doesn't correct them harshly, but he does bring some alignment to them. He says, okay, that's good, but don't get thrilled about the the demon-busting power. You ought to be more excited about the salvation that has happened in your soul. He brings some alignment to them. But, you know, that 70, I think it's important, I think it's important that each and every one of us find find a 70, you know. I think it's important that we find that, that larger gathering. Almost, I think that's almost like what Sunday morning is, when a bunch of us come together and we just kind of brag on God, you know. Like, can you believe that, that the name of Jesus has the power to heal and the power to save and the power to kick out demons? And something, because not, not every week, like, are you, like, on top of the world. Some weeks you're going to need somebody to come alongside you and say, hey, guess what? Whatever you're facing, the name of Jesus is more powerful than what you're facing, right? And so you're going to get a little bit of encouragement you're going to get a little bit of... Because you're not on top of the world every week. And so that's why we think church is important. That's why we think it's helpful to you. Because you're a part of that 70. And so you hear the testimony of other people in that 70. You rejoice. I think church ought to be a celebration. I think it ought to be fun. I think we ought to serve cake every once in a while. Come on, somebody. Uh, I think we ought to... I mean, I I think it ought to be a celebration of what God has done. Of salvation and of everything that we're facing. That the name of Jesus is greater. Jesus was a part of that, or John was a part of that 70. But out of the 70, the purpose of the 70 was really to move into another level. Out of that 70, there were 12. And Jesus called 12 to himself, and John was one of those 12. And that's why we have small groups here at City Chapel, because we believe that it's nice, it's good to come and get encouraged and get fired up and, and, and high-five some people about Jesus. But real life change is going to happen when you get into the smaller group of 12. And so John was a part of that group. It was the group of 12 where, where Jesus broke down the parables, right? Like to the 12, he said, okay, this is what I told them, but this is what it really means. So when you come into a small group, which we have 
I don't know, 15 million small groups meeting around here. Um, when you come into a small group, you need to, you, 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 you're going you're to learn deeper things about what I talk about on Sunday. So I can only, because I only got so much time. And, and so, and so you're going to, like, we're going to say, okay, well, this is what Harry said, but this is what, this is how it applies to your life. This is what it means. So you're going to learn deeper things. You're going to learn greater truths in the context of a small group. And John was a part of that small group. It was in the small group, actually, where, 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 where Jesus calmed the winds and the waves, right? There was 12 disciples with him. He speaks to the wind and the waves. He calms them down. And then he corrects them and says, where is your faith? He was much harsher with the 12 than he was with the 70. He never corrected the 70. He never aligned the 70 like he did the 12. Because when you're closer, you can have more alignment, more correction. Remember, correction doesn't mean the lack of affirmation. Correction comes because of affirmation, because I believe in you. Here's some ways that you can really step up and, 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 and grow in your faith. And so, so John was a part of the 12. But within the 12, and really if several of you have joined small groups, you're going to find that within those 12, you're going to really connect with two or three. And John was a part of three. There was Peter, James, and John. Jesus several times separated Peter, James, and John from the other Nine, And he would ask them to come with him to see some of the greatest miracles that he did. Uh, when, he raised, when he raised Jairus, uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead, he, he asked Peter, James, and John to come with him to see that. All the other disciples had to stay outside. And so there's some, there, there, there's some miracles you're only going to see in a smaller group. You're only going to see with people that are, that are locked in. When, 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 when Jesus went up to the mountain transfiguration, he asked Peter, James, and John to come with him. Those three went up and they got to see him as like his face was glowing. And it was, it was pretty awesome. It was Peter, James, and John actually that, Peter, that, that Jesus asked to come with him on the night that he was about to be betrayed. They, all 12 of them went up to pray on a hill, but then Jesus went a little further and he asked Peter, James, and John to go further with him. They were within earshot. <laughs> of Jesus' prayer as he prayed to the Father. Intimacy comes from that. And it was, it was in the three that, Jesus, that John found the one, which is Jesus. John was the only one. When Jesus told his disciples he was about to be betrayed and murdered, John was the only one who cared about Jesus enough to give him a hug. Everybody else started going, well, I'm not going to do it. Are you going to do it? Who's going to do it? <laughs> let's, let's jump him. Jump him right now. Let's gag him, tie him up. Like they could stop what Jesus said was going to happen. <laughs> but John said, I don't think I can stop what you say is going to happen, so I'm just going to love on you. I'm just going to give you a hug. I'm going to feel for you. And actually, John was the only one recorded to be at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And I think, I think maybe it was somewhere in that process <laughs> that the Son of Thunder became the Apostle of Love. In fact, I'm pretty certain because this is what he says right here. He said, Beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God and everyone loving has been born out of God. Uh, and he says, by this, in verse 9, by this the love of God was manifested. It was made known when God sent his only one of his kind son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. <laughs> and, and throughout John's gospel, John never refers to himself by name. <laughs> he never calls himself, he always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. The son of thunder whom Jesus loved. The one, because God ended up using that thunder, by the way. He became a loud, thunderous shout of love. <laughs> he, he thundered and pounded love. 
love, 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 love. He became the thunder for love, not for judgment. He, God, Jesus needed somebody who, who had some voice and some gusto and some thunder in him, but he needed to change the source of that thunder, the spirit of that thunder. And so one of the things God wants to do in your life when it comes to alignment is he wants to change the source. Not even necessarily your, he doesn't want, want to change your personality. He doesn't want to change your gifts. He wants to keep all of that, but you've been drinking out of the wrong well. So you've been talking, the real words have been coming from the wrong source. And, and, and God wants to step in and change the source, the spirit behind your words and your personality and your gifts and where you work and how you live and who you married. None of that stuff needs to change. Just the source. And it happens when you see Jesus. I think when John looked up there at the cross and he saw the Son of God bleeding and dying for him. See, we got this, we got this, I, I think if we could see Jesus on the cross, we would, we would change our source. I think our source would change. Because the source of Jesus was the Father. Jesus said, everything I say, I've, I'm just copying what the Father already told me. Everything I do, I'm just being obedient to the Father. And, and sometimes, like I was talking to somebody this week, and they were talking about um, Jesus and the Father. And, and, it is, and it is a mystery. But they were, they were talking about how, 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 how somebody told them that Jesus is kind of like our lawyer um, who, who kind of argues our case for, for God, who is our judge. And I said, well, I can, you know, I can see that somewhat, but where exactly is that in the Bible? Like, when does Jesus call his father our judge? In fact, Jesus actually says that the son of man will divide the sheep from the goats. And the son of man will say, that's Jesus. Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you, to the goats. And to the sheep, he will say, well done, my good and faithful. Jesus is kind of the judge. So where do we get this idea that our father is this sort of foreboding guy up there, that, that our, our, our sweet hero Jesus has to step in and save us from our dad? <laughs> He's our father. You don't need a lawyer to talk to your dad. If you do, you got seriously jacked up for family dynamics, okay? You need to get some counseling, get some counseling. That's not normal. That's not normal. Look, look what John says. John says that God loved the world. God sent his son. God sent, his father sent his son. Jesus didn't volunteer for the job. He was sent by a loving father. And besides, Jesus is God. Do you really think he's arguing with himself not to squash you? The same God that was crucified on the cross is the same God that sent his son to die on the cross. He's the same God that came up with a plan of salvation to begin with. He saw you. He loved you. He knew you. Do you really think that he's wanting to judge you now? Do you really think he's up there like, oh, they messed up. Okay, I'm going to squash him. And Jesus, no, dad, don't do it. I like him. That's not like, why? I'm serious. Seriously, I understand. I understand we are going to a courtroom. And he talks about that. He talks about the judgment day in verse 17. We are going, but you're not in a courtroom yet. You're in a family. And, and, and what I find with Christians is we always, we all, really people in general, we always tend to borrow our behavior and derive our behavior from the one whom we call Father. And the way you see God is the way you end up acting. No wonder Christians are so judgmental. No wonder we're so quick to point out people's faults and failures. That's what we think God's up there doing. And Jesus luckily has to step in and save us from, from, from our big mean dad. And so Jesus, you know, if that, that's, that's why we're so quick to, to judge people. 
But if you can start to see the, the father who hung on the cross, the father who, look, when, look, any, anybody around here have kids? Anybody, anybody, anybody got kids? Okay, I have kids. And I'm not being super religious, but honestly, if it was between, like, my girl being nailed to the cross and me being nailed to the cross, I would take her place. And I think most decent people would. And so if I'm like that and I'm sinful, if that's how I feel, how do you think the father felt who is infinite in love? No wonder the sky went black. (laughs) It didn't go black because God turned away. It went black because God said every light's got to shut off. The light of the world is just turning off right now. Every other light's got to shut off. The ground shook, not because God left, but because God was wringing his hands so tight that all of creation just got tight and began colliding with itself. Atoms and and protons and neutrons spinning around couldn't keep their balance because God was so tense and so wounded. Why would he change? Why would he change now? Why would he decide to judge you now? Why would he be watching every move you make just to see if he can squash you now? That's not your father. Get that thought out of your mind. The same God that sent Jesus is the same God that's looking at you today. And he is love. And let me tell you something about love. Love is selfless. Love is selfless. And this is what John continues with. He says, by by means of this, Love has been perfected in our heart. And if love is perfected in our heart, then perfect love casts out all fear. Fear comes from selfishness. Anytime we fear, we fear either what we're going to lose, we fear how people are going to see us. It's selfishness. Fear is derived from selfishness. That's why perfect love casts out fear because there's no selfishness in fear. There's no self-concern in, in, in love. There's no selfishness in love. There's no self-concern in love. This is why Jesus would hang on a cross and die for people who would never accept him. Like, like there are people who will never accept Jesus and Jesus knew that and he did it anyway. Because love doesn't need results. <laughs> love, love doesn't need results. You've been watching too many Lifetime movies. Love doesn't need results to love. Its joy is in the pouring out. Its joy is in the giving. Its satisfaction is in the giving. That's why when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it is finished. I don't need you to accept me for me to say it was worth it. I loved you. That is its own reward. Love is its own worth. It is its own value. (laughs) Because it's selfless. Oscar Wilde, um, the great poets of uh, about a hundred and some odd years ago, was a hedonist, definitely a hedonist, not, did not live a Christian life. Uh, on his deathbed in his mid-40s, this hedonist, it's amazing, he turns to his boyfriend, turn, turns to his lover and says, Robbie, did you ever love any of those boys for their own sake? is an extraordinary question for a hedonist because the purpose is to you know satisfy yourself but on his deathbed Oscar Wilde realized that love is either selfless or it's not really love he said did you ever love any of those boys for their own sake and Robbie said no I don't think I did and that's when Oscar Wilde said bring me a minister 
had called for a Catholic priest and he gave his life to Jesus on his deathbed. Shortly before that, he wrote, he wrote a poem called The Ballad of Reading Jail. Uh, it's a magnificent poem. And it starts off with and it ends with this phrase that, that all men kill what they love. That we are prone to destroy. Because we're selfish, we are prone to kill what we love. And so we destroy, we, 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 we want for ourselves. We love from a selfish motive, from a selfish source, selfish spirit. And so we are prone to kill what we love. And toward the end of it, though, he comes to this conclusion. That even after you have killed what you loved, even when you are in Reading Jail, which is where he actually was for a time, I think two years. Even after you are the murderer. He says this, he says, In every human heart that breaks in prison cell or yard is as that broken box that gave its treasure to the Lord and filled the unclean leper's house with the scent of costliest nard. Oh, happy day, they whose hearts can break in peace of pardon win. How else may man make straight his plan and cleanse his soul from sin? How else but through a broken heart may Lord Christ enter in? And he of the swollen purple throat and the stark and staring eyes waits for the holy hands that took the thief to paradise and a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. The man in red who reads the law gave him three weeks of life, three little weeks in which to heal his soul from his own soul's strife and cleanse from every blot of blood the hand that held the knife. And with tears of blood, he cleansed the hand, the hand that held the steel. For only blood can wipe out blood and only tears can heal. And the crimson stain that was of Cain became Christ's snow white seal. (laughs) He found out that there is a love that is selfless and that love that blood would wash away the blood that we shed when we killed what we loved when if you want to come into alignment with him it's as simple as receiving that blood into your life and on your heart and to wash away the blood of all of your murder of all the murdering you've done with your tongue all the murdering you've done even maybe with your hands all the all the way in which we have hated our brothers and we have we have been Cain we have not loved But the blood of Jesus washes the hand that held the knife.